get going tonight in our 24th lesson in this study. I want to also greet and uh, honor uh, a group in Wallaceburg, Ontario, Canada that is following along, having weekly meetings, and they are watching our Ephesians study. So by the time they get to 24, we probably will be finished because I think that group at this point said they're like at 12 or so. So they're about halfway back there behind us. But um, that kind of gave me a little charge when I got up there and heard that, that there's a group following along with us and, and taking the journey and watching it, then discussing it and having their own Bible study around it. It's pretty cool to know that um, others are, are enjoying this journey. And, and I heard from several uh, recently about Ephesians that, that this has been a, um, an important study for them, particularly the last few weeks. People have had a, a lot of response I've actually kind of got an unusual amount of response from people over this fifth chapter where Paul's telling them, giving some instructions for living. I don't know if we're just kind of hungry for some instruction. Maybe coming off of the, what I call, you know, we all call PTSD of a lot of religion. And we're sort of, maybe deconstructing is the right word, maybe not, but we're sort of knocking some things down and now building some things up. And I think maybe people have come into this journey and they're looking for, they, they, don't, they don't follow Christ to be listless. You know, we're not followers of Christ so that we can just kind of blow in the breeze. You know, who cares, whatever, we're going to go to heaven when we die. We know life's way more than that. And I think people are responding to the fact that Paul writes this latter part of the book of Ephesians and says, hey, here's some stuff to think about. You don't look like the world looks. You don't have to live like the world lives, and not so that you'll be safe, but because you are. Tonight is another one of those, except it's also a very famous passage that I am going to work my way towards, and so we'll use as our title, Be Filled with the Spirit, because this is where we're going tonight in the fifth chapter, is Paul's famous, don't be drunk with wine, we're in his excess, and I'm using King, King James Version speak here. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. That's kind of the way the King James says that. We're going to read it differently. We're using NRSV on the Ephesians passage tonight. We have a lot of issue. Well, that's the, a lot's the wrong word. We have several issues with translation that we have to work with tonight in Ephesians 5. We've got some words that come from Greek to English and don't land just right. I don't know why. Um, sometimes they get transliterated, taken from one spot, dropped into another. Sometimes it might be scribal. Um, I don't want to say anything nefarious has went on where someone just went, well, I don't agree with that. And they changed it. But I do know that we don't get full color in the English as we do in the Greek. So we got to get a little deeper sometimes than, than what meets the eye to realize that there's tense um, and there's ways of saying these words and writing these words in the Greek that change the way we should think about them in the English. And so on our way to being filled with the Spirit, Let's read our way up, starting in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. And I'll, i got a lot of stuff to say about the whole concept of being filled with the Spirit. I'll sit on that for a little bit, and we'll just work our way towards it. Once you were darkness, not once you were in darkness, once you actually were darkness. Darkness is not a thing, per se. It's simply the absence of light. And once you were a part of this thing called darkness... But now, in the Lord, you are light. What's really changed about you? You're in the Lord. All right? God didn't ask you to act like light because you used to act like darkness. You just were darkness. 
and then you come to Christ and now you are light and the fact that you're in the Lord means you're light therefore live as children of light live as if you belong in the day not as if you belong at night um, from a biological perspective consider like animals that are largely nocturnal versus animals that are not so a nocturnal animal is going to do their best hunting um, they're going to do their most of their movement in the evening under the cover of darkness we don't see those animals because we are largely people of the day i mean our biological clock sleeps at some point usually when the sun is down and so we don't see the nocturnal animal because we're in our house and they're a creature of the night and we like that image for like drama you know vampires are creatures of the night so like infiltrate the world uh, if you go into their world you you see this whole different thing well think of that in spiritual terms as well i'm just i'm using a biological example to try to get to a spiritual point if there are nocturnal animals and then there are animals of the day paul sort of uses that to say the people of the world are people of darkness that's just where they live it's what they do they they function in a world where they don't really have direction like they don't really they can't really see where they lay their foot that's what it means to be in darkness um and and but you're not that way you're actually children of the light you belong in the daytime you are a people who do have direction you're not listless you're not just wandering around floating with the wind live as if you were children of the light or the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. I use the NRSV here to fix one word in this passage because in a lot of your translations, I think King James, New King James, that word is spirit. The fruit of the spirit is found in all that's good, right, and true. NRSV gets, does better because it's not the word spirit. It's not the fruit of the spirit is good, right, and true. It's an interesting phrase. The fruit of the light is found in everything that's good and right and true. Because the fruit of the Spirit is a whole different list of things in Galatians. So Paul's not trying to list off fruits of the Spirit. He's trying to list off fruits of living in the light. So as you live in the light, the good, the right, the true start to come out in you. This isn't something you have to squeeze out of you, press out of you, work hard to make come out of you. If you walk in the light, good, right, and true will eventually come out. I said eventually. We have to be patient and we're not. I mean, most of us are not patient with people that have just come from darkness into light and we want to see good, right, and true. Okay, and so we, we start to try to teach them good, right, and true. And it's okay to know what is good, but you can't squeeze out of people good, right, and true. It's a product, it's fruit. Fruit grows. Fruit doesn't grow when you want it to grow. It grows when it wants to grow. So you don't plant a tree, an apple tree, and then start screaming at it to produce apples, shaking it, hitting it. It doesn't work that way. And you can try that, but it's not gonna produce apples and it's never gonna produce oranges. It's gonna produce what it is. And so if you're light, fruit is eventually, I say eventually, I think we need, we have need of patience, Jesus said, or uh, Hebrews said it, and Jesus said, in your patience possess you your soul. We really need patience, especially in the church, and I don't want to go down the same road again, but a lot of, I, I, I will say, and I've said before, I think a lot of times we're impatient because we're afraid of what it makes us look like as a body of believers if so-and-so is over here living like a maniac and they're not yet producing the fruit of, not the fruit of the Spirit only, but the fruit of light. Patience, let it happen. 
Try to find, verse 10, try to find out what is pleasing to the Lord. And I want you to, to notice that Paul does not back down from telling us to, that we should try to act pleasant for the Lord. I say he doesn't back down because I know we kind of do. Um, you are well-pleasing to the Lord because you're in Christ. And so because of that, we've sort of developed a bit of a message in grace circles that says, you don't have to act well-pleasing to the Lord. You are well-pleasing to the Lord. Okay? So I would jump in on the back of that and say, of course you don't have to act well-pleasing to the Lord. You are well-pleasing to the Lord. But why wouldn't you want to act well-pleasing to the Lord? Okay, so just follow it up with a question. So Paul's like, just try to find out what pleases the Lord. Why does he throw that in? Because he just told you that the fruit of the light is good, right, and true. And every one of us are going, well, what's good, right, and true? Because that's what we are. We're kind of that, that kind of people. Go, well, tell us what good, right, and true is. Paul goes, I'm not going to tell you what good, right, and true is. You try to find out what's pleasing to the Lord. So live your lives and Lord, I want to do the thing today that's well put. I want to look like you today, Father. I'm, okay, I'm about to deal with this group of people and I don't know them and I'm, I'm struggling. I want to treat them the way you would treat them today. And I'm going, to, I'm going to have to learn this in real time. And I'm going to have to learn this as I listen to the Spirit. That's just one example. You could fill your life with that. That's not meant to be exhausting. Like walk around every day trying to make sure you're well-pleasing to the Lord because you are well-pleasing to the Lord. You are well-pleasing to the Lord in the way that children are to their parents, regardless of their actions. But you still want to live in a well-pleasing manner. How? 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. Notice the link. Paul's really in the same vein. Here's darkness. Here's dark. He hasn't left the topic, in other words. So you used to be in this. Now you're not. Live as if you're not. Let fruit come out the more you live. If you don't really know what that fruit looks like, talk to the Father. He'll show you. While you're doing that, there's going to be some stuff that's the unfruitful works of darkness. Take no part in them. Why would you live as if you're dark when you know you're not dark? You know you're not in the dark, so don't act like you're in the darkness. And then rather expose them. Now, this is where you got to slow down and take your time for a second. Because if you move too quickly, or if you don't pay attention to the wording, I've noticed that we can develop theological stances because we don't pay attention to the context. Okay, here's an example. Verse 11. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but ex instead expose them. And if you paused right there, you could say, it is our job to expose sin. See how easy that was? You just took one verse, you took it out of its couch, couched context, because it has context. Mm -hmm. It has a lot of context. It's been a build-up verse. It's, you, you don't just throw that in. This is on the backside of someone. They're not in the dark anymore. They now belong to the light. They're trying to produce good. They're asking the Father what good looks like. They're eschewing the works of darkness because it doesn't look like them. And rather than go do those things, those things ought to be exposed. Those things ought to be exposed. But watch the next verse. It's shameful even to mention what some such people do secretly. Now, how is it that we're supposed to expose them, but it's also shameful to mention such what people do secretly? Because people are what matter. They never cease to matter. 
to the Holy Spirit. So it's okay for us to point out the works, the unfruitful works of darkness and go, hey, watch out for this. In fact, that's exposing people of light to traps. And that's part of our job. That's also, it's part of your job as a parent to expose traps to your children or to anyone you love and say, I see this, this is a problem, watch out for it. You know what's not okay? Shaming people. And so that, that disqualifies you from taking Ephesians 5.11 going, our job is to expose sin. And what people mean when they say that is our job is to embarrass people. Yeah. But you don't get to do that. And so Paul very carefully says, yes, while we're exposing the works of darkness so that children of light don't get tripped up, we don't expose people. We don't go rip people, the curtain off people's lives and shine our Holy Ghost spotlight on them and point out guilt, shame, condemnation and destroy them because that's not what, and if you needed to know whether or not that's permissible, just watch Jesus. I mean, Really, if we would just watch how Jesus did it. And I think one of the great contrasts, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to stay here long, but this is one of those, I think you should all like toss this around your head for a while on your own time. But just think about the fact that John the Baptist is the last messenger of the old covenant. Jesus calls him the greatest prophet that the world had ever seen. That's pretty big. And then here comes Jesus. Okay. And John the Baptist gets his head cut off and then vanishes from the scene. And then Jesus' ministry takes off. And John the Baptist confronts adultery by calling out the adulterer and ends up in prison. Jesus confronts adultery in the adulterous woman by giving her the gift of no condemnation. There's no one there that walked away thinking Jesus approved of adultery. There's no way you think... A man, the man that goes, you, that's without sin, cast the first stone, which was Jesus' way of saying, yes, this is a sin. Otherwise, he doesn't open with you without sin, cast the first stone. Yes, this is a sin, but neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Okay, go and don't live the way you've been living. It tripped you up. It almost got you killed, lady. <laughs> that's in effect. But I don't condemn you because he's exposing the, the poison of her adultery without shaming what she's done in secret. Because the difference then in, in John the Baptist confronting adultery and the difference in Jesus confronting adultery might just be the difference in the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And it might very well be the difference in the way we've heard it done and the way we need to see it done. Or the way we've heard it done and the way we need to do it. So it's not about shaming people. It's not about embarrassing people, humiliating people, beating people up, making them feel like dogs. Humbling them. Oh, it's amazing how we think that's our job, to humble people. <laughs> Life will do it really well. Life will do it, and the Holy Spirit will do it. I'm not qualified. I'm not here to humble you. I, I don't know how to humble you. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit. And grace belongs to those of us who are humbled. So it's just shameful to mention what people do secretly, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Of course it does. If it's exposed by the light, then it's able to be seen. And so the, the object of living in the light is 14. Everything that becomes visible is then light. 
And so as the Holy Spirit shines the light of the love of the Father into the dark areas of our soul, I like to say this is the moment where the real truth comes out and all of the things that are in the dark get exposed to His light (coughs) and they are no longer darkness. They become light. They become redeemed. Therefore, it says, Sleeper, awake, rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. This is an interesting little moment because this is not in the Bible. Um, it, it's kind of, but not really. It's one of those derivative passages where Paul's not really quoting an Old Testament scripture. So scholars think Paul's quoting a song that must have been popular in Paul's era of the church. And so perhaps he's quoting a, a line from it, Sleep or awake, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Um, he doesn't claim it's scripture either. He just says, therefore, it says. What's it? I don't know. The song, the thing you've heard, whatever it is, it still, it still stands. And it's actually it's something that Paul kind of likes to build a theme off. He builds a theme off this in 1 Corinthians when he says, awake from sleep and sin not. Awake to righteousness and sin not. Like if you would wake up to who you were, you'd know you don't have to live the way you're living. Um, let's talk light and darkness for just a second before we get into the filled with the Spirit passage. Colossians 1.13. This is a Colossians 1... Colossians Ephesians are like companion texts. Um, and I, and I, I don't mean that Paul does that on purpose, but um, they share the same theme. He had to write them fairly close together. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us. This is better for transferred, like a bus transfer. He's transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He's not transferring us. This is past tense. He has transferred us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So you and I are no longer under the power of darkness. We've already been transferred into the kingdom of the Son of His love. So darkness is in our past, at least the power that darkness has over us. So then look at the light. I want to show you the light of the world sort of objectively and subjectively. Objectively, John 8, 12, Jesus spoke to them and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I don't know if you remember your John 8, but the first 11 verses is the woman caught in the act of adultery. The very next verse, Jesus is the light of the world. Notice how when given the opportunity to shine the light into someone's eyes and embarrass them, he doesn't do it. He does shine the light on the hypocrisy of the accusers. He does not uh, act as if adultery is not a big deal, but he shines the light on the gift of no condemnation and then tells the world what he's doing. I'm the light of the world. Those that follow me don't walk in darkness. They'd have the light of life. It's sort of a message to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Like, if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness. You can walk in the light of life. And so that's the objective light. In other words, Jesus is the whole light in this kingdom. Slow down and say it this way. There is a kingdom of darkness. You used to be in it. That's the system of the world. There's a kingdom of God, the kingdom of light. You've been transferred into it. You still live on this earth, but you've been transferred into the kingdom of light. And Jesus is the light of that world. He can be the light of this world if we'll let him. The light can shine into the darkness. And that's what we're out here trying to do. This is why we try to live right. It's why we try to live good. It's why we try to live holy. This is Ephesians 5. Why? Because we belong to a kingdom who has a king, and he's the light of the world, and the world's in darkness, and they need the light. And then here's subjective light from the Sermon on the Mount. 
Matthew 5.14. All of us, you are the light of the world. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. All right, go back to your illustration. The world's in darkness. Jesus is the kingdom of light. He's transferred you from one to the other, and he's the light of the world. By our lives, we take his light and we shine it into the darkness. But in reality, we are the light that shines in the darkness. So you want to know why you ought to live right? Because you're the light of the world. So it's your choice. Now, again, if you don't put forth the fruits of light, still righteous. You're still God's child. He doesn't divorce you, disown you, disinherit you. But this entire experience is not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about us and it's about this whole place. It's about the world in which we live. And so we are the light that makes a difference in that darkness. Now, back to Ephesians 5. It's all sort of setting us up towards this last line, which is our title for the night. We go back to verse 15. Be very careful then how you live. Well, of course, because if it matters, then I ought to be careful about it. You're only careful with stuff that matters, right? I mean, you don't, you're not careful if it doesn't matter. But if it matters, you're careful. When it's your stuff, you're careful. And if it's somebody's stuff you don't care about, you're not careful. If we take this serious, we'll be careful with how we live. We won't live as if we're unwise. We'll live as if we're wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Some of this speaks for itself. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can, I can squeeze a bunch of stuff in there, but the days are evil. It doesn't mean everybody you run into contact with is demon-possessed, but it means that you're living in a world of darkness. And so there's going to be darkness all around you. So make the most of your opportunities and make the most of your time. And in that case, therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And that leads to 18. And I'm, I'm setting on 17 for a second, that don't be foolish, because I want to I put 18 out there first. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, is a verse that probably most of us grew up hearing quoted in the church that was the end-all verse for don't drink. And it was basically, don't get drunk, but instead be filled with the Spirit. And they knew where to find it in Ephesians 5. It's interesting that we knew where to find don't be drunk, but we didn't know where to find don't be foolish. (laughs) And don't be unwise. And earlier in the chapter, this is from the last two weeks, watch out for your foolish jesting and your kind of stupid statements. And it was amazing how we were landing as hard as we could on don't get drunk with wine and jumping right past all the other stuff. Now, I'm not doing that to try and lessen what Paul says. I just once again want to show you that the context is a little, usually a little bit more than people make it out to be. This is also, by the way, it should be pretty obvious by now, not a diatribe on drinking. This is the first thing, this is the first time Paul's dropped this in. He has not been building towards it. He's been building off of Dark and light, light and dark, good and evil, wise and unwise, or wise and foolish. So he gives another comparison. And debauchery, it can, that's, a, that's not even the word that's there in the old English. Do not be drunk with wine, we're in his excess. Debauchery is not a bad word for it. Um, 
But the word is closer to our word for abandonment. Do not be drunk with wine because there is abandonment, because you've given yourself over to it. Now, Paul's in compare mode, dark light, good, evil, foolish, wise, drunk on wine, abandoned yourself to wine would be drunkenness, filled with the spirit. So what's his comparison? Because there is an abandonment that comes with being filled with wine. Instead, lean into the abandonment that comes with being filled with the spirit. Get filled with the spirit in the way a drunk man gets filled with wine. Okay, and so the comparison is apt. It, it's one thing on one side of the aisle and another thing on the other side of the aisle. Um, instead, or rather, be filled with the spirit. Let's talk about this for a moment. The word used for drunk is the same Greek word used to describe the wedding party at Canaan John 2. Jesus' famous first miracle, remember? When he turns the water to wine, in case you don't remember that story. In that story, what Jesus does when the group is well drunk is provides them more wine. He doesn't say, okay, that's enough. You're well drunk. It's been like eight days now. No one needs to drink for eight solid days. So no more wine. Instead, he gives them more wine, obviously unoffended that they are, quote, and I'm pulling the words directly from our John 2, obviously unoffended that they are well drunk. So Jesus doesn't seem to have a problem with this moment in context, right? And I'm being careful with how I word this because I, I do take, I take the scripture serious and I take the biblical account serious and I want to take Paul serious because it's worth it. And he laid this illustration out there for a reason. And I also know, as well as you do, the absolute foolish abandonment of a drunken lifestyle. <laughs> but on the same, with that knowledge, I want to take what I could see about that and imagine what that kind of abandonment would look like in the life consumed of the spirit. That's the point of the illustration. So let's deal with the drunkenness factor first, because if you don't, there's a lot of people that watch and listen to sermons like this that don't take any of it serious if they don't think you take this part serious. Like they just won't listen. Like you're just a bunch of heathens just won't get by with drinking wine. And because we don't sometimes slow down and do the work that's necessary in the text, we lose them. So I hope they stay with me long enough to hear this. Paul contrasts the need for an ongoing filling up by the Spirit with drunkenness as a state of abandonment to wine. But when he says be filled with the Holy Spirit, he uses a passive voice verb, which in the Greek, and this is what I meant, is you can't just see this in the English. Passive voice verbs means something that happened to you, not something you do. So he's not saying, go get filled with the Spirit. He's saying, let the Spirit absolutely fill and consume you in the way you have been absolutely filling yourselves with wine. <laughs> you go, wouldn't it be better to have be, to be, let's use a, let's use a drinking term. Wouldn't it be better to be under the influence? He says on a day-to-day -day basis of the spirit than the other lifestyle. So rather than abandon yourself to wine, abandon yourself to the spirit. Now, the reason I point this part out is to show you that what Paul is doing, Jesus and Paul are not at odds. 
Like Jesus is cool with drinking at the wedding of Cana, but then Paul comes along and goes, nope. Everybody at Cana was drunk. They shouldn't be, that shouldn't be happening. They need to be filled with the Spirit. Paul's not making a commentary on drinking. Paul's making a commentary on what it would look like if we took being filled with the Spirit the way a drunk took being filled with wine. Okay. And if we did, what might that look like? What would that world look like? We'll come back to that thought on being filled with the Spirit in a moment, but I want to show you what that might look like. Ephesians 5.19. Look, it's the same sentence. Be ye filled with the Spirit. That's 18. As you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to one another, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks to God the Father at all times and for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. So being filled with the Spirit is this stuff. Or at least it's part of it. Certainly not all. Okay, let's talk be filled with the Spirit from a context of, say, post-salvation, second work of grace, third work of grace, tenth work of grace. What I mean by that is Pentecostal charismatic days, we, there was the salvation, which you received Christ by faith, and you received a measure of the Holy Spirit. This kind of depends on what stripe of Pentecost you were, and we've talked about this before. What stripe of Pentecost you were as to how much of the Holy Spirit you received. But then we taught that you would go back and get filled with the Holy Ghost or baptized with the Holy Ghost. And that that subsequently would happen maybe repeatedly. You get, refill, you get filled, get refilled, get refilled, refilled. And that that was, most Pentecostal circles, that was accompanied by speaking with other tongues at minimum. Like that even became the way to know whether or not you had received the Holy Spirit was whether or not you spoke with other tongues to the point that the work of speaking with other tongues was all people looked for. Yeah. So it wasn't even, there wasn't even any end game other than just get the tongues. I mean, people say that, oh, just get the tongues. Just get up, get up there and get the tongues. You get up there and speak in tongues or rattle off something and then you could go back to your seat and you'd get them off your back. Especially one of those 90 minute, three hour invitation services where you're just trying to get everybody baptized with the Holy Ghost. And finally, somebody just go, hey, man, just get up there and mumble something. Get out of here. I'm hungry. And I mean, I hate to admit it, but that's the kind of stuff that was happening for sure. And uh, because I don't know why the because, well, because we were hungry. That's why people did it. Um, I don't, I, I, I'm not here to make a comment on, 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 the doctrine of being filled with the Spirit post-salvation of, or two times, three times, ten times. I'm not going to say it's not right. Um, I actually believe you can... My difference is I don't think you've got to go up and ask to be filled with the Spirit. Okay, that's bottom line. Um, you don't have to beg to be saved. You don't have to beg to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You have a Father who's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, so He's not withholding the Holy Spirit until you pray right. And so we had... Uh, you know, you'd have classes on how to let go and let God, you know, all that stuff. And uh, hold on. I, you didn't know if you were supposed to hold on or let go. One arm's holding on, the other arm's letting go. Um, Paul doesn't make a big deal out of this the way we did. Paul doesn't say, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And here's how, by going up and getting in a prayer line, and then you got to speak in tongues, and then this is going to happen in your life. No, instead Paul goes, listen, you used to be dark, now you're light. You used to be a fool, now you're wise. 
Don't act like you're a fool. Don't act like you're dark. Instead, act like you're in the light. If you don't know what that looks like, go ask God. He goes, and, but let me give you another illustration. The same way that a man abandons himself to wine and lives a lifestyle of drunkenness. He goes, that's debauchery. And in fact, Paul's looking at Ephesus with its cult temples. And he's watching the debauchery worship parties that are orgiastic festivals to Roman and Greek gods. Literally in that part of the world at that time in history. Open orgiastic festivals at heathen temples. Ephesus is one of the big ones. And, and Paul has to deal with that in the book of Acts. And they have to deal with it in the book of Revelation. And he's saying, look what happens to that crowd when they get crazy. He goes, that's not you. That doesn't belong. I, I think Paul's got this in mind when he writes this in Ephesus. He goes, that's not you. That's not the way you ought to act. That's not doing any of us any good. Because, you know, like word comes back to me that the people I've been preaching Jesus to are out here at the feast of Dionysus or Diana and debauchery is happening. And he goes, and, and we don't have to get into the details of what the debauchery was. But if you've ever read a history book of the Roman Empire, it's pretty bad. And, and if they were at all involved in any of this, there's none of us even under grace that would go, yeah, that's probably cool. No, not the kind of stuff you read that, that was going on there. And Paul goes, that's where that road leads you. He goes, what kind of a life would the opposite be where you took the Holy Spirit as serious as they take the debauchery? And he said, what might happen if you did? And you allowed the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do, to work the way he wants to work. Well, what would happen is stuff would come up out of your heart. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. This phrase, to one another, is actually not greatly translated. Singing songs, hymns, spiritual songs, one another. The word is really yourself. So it's Paul going, you're singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to yourself. It's you, full of the Holy Spirit, that allows the Holy Spirit to speak up through you, singing, making melody to the Lord in your hearts. You know it must be to yourself because you can't sing and make melody to the Lord in their heart. You can only do it in your heart. All right? Giving thanks to the God the Father at all times and everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. Subject to one another. And let me, let me save 21 for a second because that's really the lead-in for next week. So, so say this. I so believe in the infilling and dwelling power of the Holy Spirit it is the agency of Christ in your life. When you come to faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is everything that energizes your day-to-day -day walk. Jesus said you'd be an orphan without Him. He said, I'm not going to leave you an orphan. I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to glorify me. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to lead and guide you into all truth. And the Holy Spirit is going to explain things to you that you cannot understand without the Holy Spirit. And man, is that true. And so as you read the Word, the Holy Spirit goes to work. He begins to speak to your heart. As you pray, the Holy Spirit goes to work. In all the areas where you don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit. And, and we've got different verses for this. You could assemble a laundry list of verses of the things the Holy Spirit is doing, even when you're not aware of them, making groanings that cannot be uttered, all these prayers He says on your behalf. Essentially, remember that God, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, that great trinity, they're not three entities working opposite of one another or one's over here and one's over here and then one's over here. But we're, we're talking about the essence of who God is. Really, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit 
is evidence that the creator of the universe and the son of God live inside your life. So Paul is begging the Ephesian church to live a life in which they, they listen first and foremost to the sound of the Holy Spirit instead of the easy sound of the darkness around them. And I would say that to the church today, and I say it to you. It's, the, it's, it's easy to just listen to the darkness around you. In fact, sometimes it's fun. And that's why people do it. Because it fires up your emotions. And you get mad, and you get uh, excited, and you got something to talk about. And in, in a way, we abandon our senses to the darkness by getting drunk with wine. We abandon. We live a life of abandonment to it. We don't have to because we're not darkness. We're children of the light. We already have the Holy Spirit. So allow the Holy Spirit that is ours to constantly refill us by allowing who we are to come to the surface instead of what the world tells us we are. Instead of the darkness that speaks around us. So being filled with the Spirit is not some goal you go off and lay on an altar and beg God to fill you with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is, the, is happening every day, every time we do this. It is, the, it is the bubbling up of the Spirit within us, contrary to what our eyes are telling us about the world around us. So we are a Spirit-filled people. Now when you Christians say that, they have doctrine in mind. And they say, is your church spirit filled? They don't have, do you guys sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs to one another and make melody in your heart to the Lord? Do you give thanks? That's not what they mean. They mean, do you preach gifts of the spirit to people speaking tongues? And so you do have to learn two sets of lingo when you navigate to church. I've had to, we've all had to, I've got to learn dual sets of lingo all the time because I know what people mean and then I know what I mean. And so sometimes I got to speak their language and say it the way they mean it, even though I'm thinking, this, doesn't, this ain't even right, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this anyway because I know you don't have any idea what I'm saying if I say it another way. It doesn't mean I'm right, but um, so you know what I mean. Um, so, so there is some of that. So when I say spirit-filled, I don't mean what some mean when they say spirit-filled. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is spirit-filled. I don't think there's such thing as the non-spirit-filled church. Do you go to a spirit-filled church? I don't think you realize what you're saying. There's no possible way that you've been transferred out of darkness into light without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You, didn't, you can't pull this off. You, how did you get there without the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the transference. Why do you think it's light? They didn't even know that light went 186,000 miles per second. They had no idea of that, which is a f- number that blows my mind. They just knew it was fast. And so to say you've been transferred from darkness to light was kind of like saying the light switch has been turned on. Don't know how it got light so quickly, but that's what's happened. So live like it. All right? And that leads us to the last line we'll use tonight, being subject to one another out of reverence for Christ, because this next body of work right here is the famous husbands, wives, marriage, Christ and His church passage. So next week, we're going to get into, we're going to begin the work on the husbands and wives passage from Ephesians 5. By the way, I think one of the most misused and abused passages of Scripture, one of the most, not the most, the most is coming up in Ephesians 6. 
when we get to the whole armor of God, that dude, we've created like soldiers and everything out of that. It starts getting weird quickly. So we're going to come up on a couple here that I think that we got to do some work on. But the reason I bring this up tonight is that, and we'll do this again next week. This next passage is subjection. Wives subject to your husbands, husbands subject to Christ, Christ overall. But look how it starts. Subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you don't start there, you don't have the right to talk marriage and husbands and wives and all that stuff. So this isn't about hierarchy. Every one of us is subject to one another out of reverence for Christ means Matt has Christ in him and Lauren has Christ in her. And I am subject, whether I like it or not, in some way to the Christ that's in them. I'm not a slave. They don't lord it. We'll get into this stuff as we go. But I am subject to the Christ in them if I take Christ in them seriously. And we should. We should. Let's pray. And let's pray that we who are filled with the Spirit will learn the ways of the Spirit this week. Okay, That the Holy Spirit will stir up within us these things and more. Paul doesn't give you an exhaustive list. He gives you a few. These things and more that are the workings, the fruits of the Spirit. Father, thank you for this word tonight. Thank you that we get to put our hands into the soil of the Scripture and see what you want to do. And we get to take the seed and let it, let it go to work in our heart. This is, a, this is a, a, a slow process and teach us patience as you work these things out in us. But tonight we've been introduced through this passage to the concepts, a lot more concepts about walking in the light and a lot more concepts about avoiding the dark, but really the concept of what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And it's not just a singular experience, just going up to an altar and getting filled with the Holy Ghost. This is a day-to-day thing. I want to be... I want the Spirit to work in me the way wine works in the drunkard. Abandonment takes over. Just takes over. It it rules your life. Tells you when to do. I want to see what it's like to walk in that. And because of the way this word is used, Father, what we know you're saying to us is, you're the one that does it. We don't do it. We receive it. Teach us how to stir it up. In Jesus' name, amen.